Welcome to the weekly message from Encounter, where the past has no future and hope is reborn. Our speaker today is Bishop Michael Rice, lead pastor at Encounter. God's good, isn't he? I'm glad to see you this morning. In spite of the weather, in spite of the cold, snow, you're here. Turn to the person near you and tell them that you're glad to see them this morning. Now turn to the other person who's feeling left out and tell them you're glad to see them. morning, we're going to talk about getting out of Nazareth. If you turn your Bibles with me to the book of Mark, chapter number one. Mark chapter number one, verse number one, says this. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophets, behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, Make his paths straight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist And he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, There comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Would you be kind enough to stretch your hand this way and pray with me and for me? Father, I'm so very grateful to be your son and to be called to share your heart. And yet, God, man has never been more adequate than when we attempt to share your heart. So, Holy Spirit, I need you to do what you do so well. And I need you to take and and share individually with everybody in this room 
the Father's heart for them. And I thank you, God, that this is not wasted time. That your word will not return void. It will accomplish that which you have sent it to do. And I thank you, Father, for that. Amen. Whenever you read the book of Mark, it helps to understand that the reason God had the gospel written three or four times, rather, from four different points of view is because everything that they wrote was Holy Spirit-inspired, but it still went through the person and their personality. And we all know that two people can witness the same event and see it differently. I mean, understand what I'm saying. And, and Mark, more than any of the other Gospels, Mark is very visual. He quotes Jesus less than any other Gospels. He talks less about what Jesus said, but his is often a narrative about what he saw. And so he, 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 as opposed to writing words, it's almost like Mark paints a picture for you. And we, we know that, that there was so much that Jesus did that was left out of the Gospels because they're just, the Bible says there wasn't room enough to contain it all. And so because that the Holy Spirit decided to leave a lot out... We need to understand that everything that was left in was left in for purpose. It wasn't just casually. It wasn't just, you ever done a Facebook post and you, you write it and you read it and then you rewrite it and then you write it again and read it and write it and, and then you delete it and go on with your day? Because <laughs> you can't just seem to get the words right. And sometimes by the end of the day, what was three paragraphs, you've got it down to a sentence. And Mark here is a, an individual who is very particular with his words. His words are few because he, he's painting a picture. And he wants you to look at the whole picture. And, and it's because that everything he says has a purpose. And it's kind of amazing because when Mark starts to write, he says, I'm starting to write to you the gospel, which means good news of Jesus Christ. But he doesn't start with the baby in the manger. He starts when Jesus is 30 years old. He starts when Jesus is about to get baptized. And in Mark's painting of words... He says, this is when the good news starts. This is the beginning of the gospel, he says. And he then picks up and he tells us that Jesus came down to the Jordan to be baptized by John. And he begins to fill in the pictures for what he wants to tell us in this story. And he, 
he tells us that Jesus was baptized by John, but John's baptism is a baptism of repentance. When you and I think of repentance, we, we think of confessing sin, and, and it certainly means that, but in actuality, it means a change, a turning over. So we, we know that Jesus did not come to be baptized by John because he had sin to repent of. He was doing this to signify a change. Are you with me so far? And another gospel tells us that, that John kind of argues with Jesus and said, I, I, I shouldn't be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus basically says, John, you know what was written. We're doing this out of obedience. Obey. That's a four-letter word in society today. <clears throat> it's unfortunately a four-letter word in the church. We, we want to know everything, don't we? If God has called me to do this, I want to know why. If God's called me to go there, I want to know why he's called me. If I... If I feel called to do this, I, well, how's this going to work out? Can anybody explain to me? And, and yet Jesus himself, God himself in human flesh, is obeying. And the best answer he can give for obeying is, God said do it. Can I, can I tell you that, that there comes a freedom in our lives when we can get to the place that we do something just because God said do it. I don't know why. I don't know how. I don't know if this is going to work out. I don't, I don't know what the result is going to be. I don't know how they're going to feel about me afterwards. I remember sitting in the kitchen or a dining room of a man who had used to be a minister of the gospel and and had some success in doing that, and, and he had walked away, and my heart is for those that are broken like that, and I remember sitting in his dining room, and he's, he, I've shared with him on, on more than one occasion about God's heart for him, but on this occasion, he's angry, and I've shared with him what God told me, that God wasn't finished with him, that God still had a work for him to do, and and God's anointing was still on him. And I'll never forget, he said to me, if you tell me that one more time, I'm going for my shotgun. That'll get your attention. God told me to tell him something. And here's this guy, the veins are standing out in his forehead when he says, if you say that one more time, I'm going for my shotgun. 
and God told me to say something, and I, I didn't have time to say, well, wait a minute, what if he does go for the shotgun? I said, brother, God just told me to tell you, you've not preached your last message. But you get to decide whether you preach it here or you preach it in hell, but you will be preaching again. He headed down the hall in a hurry for a shotgun. I figured that was a good time to leave. I didn't need, I didn't need a word from God. I didn't need instructions. I thought, you know, now I'm out of here. Mark is telling us that Jesus did what he did simply out of obedience. There needs to be a revival of obedience today where we just do what God said to do. We don't need to know how it turns out. We don't, we don't need to know all the ins and outs of everything. He just said to do it. Jesus did not come to this baptism in, because he needed to repent of sin. Because <coughs> the Bible says he knows no sin. He came to this baptism and he said, John, you know we're supposed to do this. Let's just do this. And Mark includes these words. He says something about Jesus that's rarely said. He said, when Jesus came to this baptism, he came from Nazareth. Go back and check your Gospels. Nearly every time it talks about Jesus' physical movements, it tells you where he's going to. And Jesus left to go to. And Jesus went into. And Jesus to. And Jesus to. And, but Mark, inspired by the Holy Spirit, feels it's important that you understand that when he came to this baptism, he came from Nazareth. Nazareth, I understand we, we, we're here, that's the other side of the world, and that was 2,000 years ago. We really don't know what Nazareth is like. Nazareth is not a good place. It was, it was looked down upon. In the 70s, I grew up in Medina, Ohio. They had a, a, a government project, housing project that I think was built in the 50s, just after World War II. And it was for low-income people. It was called Medfair. And, and, and Medfair was the, 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 the crime hub of the entire community. Medina is kind of a quiet little place, or at least it was back in the 70s. And, and, and there was, I don't know, two or 300 housing units there in, in, in Medfair. And it's, they were block buildings. They looked like army barracks. In fact, they may have been that. I'm not sure. But, but they looked like army barracks. And it was just, you know, small and made out of concrete blocks. And, and they just had so much crime there. And... And so Medfair became the butt of jokes. 
And they, they tried to fix it. They, the government eventually sold it to a private developer, and, and the developer went in and, and took out some of the buildings and closed the rec center and built the playground. And, and each building had four units, and he now cut it up so that each building had two units and so that they're bigger. And, and he painted them and put new furnishings and new appliances and, and landscaping and... In just a few years, it looked like the old Medfair again. Nazareth was that kind of place. Nazareth was the Medfair of the Middle East. It was that kind of place because of the, the, the attitude of those that lived there. And, and it was such that even the Gospels talk about, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Do you remember reading that? I'm sorry I'm drinking so much, folks. The dry air is killing my throat. Can anything good come out of that? When Jesus would come they, and they would hear he was Jesus of Nazareth, can anything good come out of that? I don't know if we have any town like that around here, but the, and if we do, don't say it, because somebody probably lives there. But the question is asked, can, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's such a bad place. It's, it's, it's bad characters. It's, it's a bad place to raise a family. And, and everybody's there is just kind of, you know, it's bad. And, and John wants you to know that when Jesus came, he came out of Nazareth. And in fact, we only have one other narrative that he ever went back there. And he went back to Nazareth, and the Bible says that he was, in Mark chapter 6, you can look the story up, he's, he's teaching and he's ministering there in Nazareth, and... All of a sudden, somebody says, I'm going to paraphrase. Wait a minute, you're from Nazareth. Aren't you the carpenter that used to live right here? You come in here acting like you're something. Dude, you're one of us. You came from Nazareth. You're, 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 you're from this town. And the Bible says, that from that moment forward, he couldn't hardly do any miracles in Nazareth. In fact, it, 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 it's almost a funny line. It says, and he only was able to touch a few folks. And he turned and looked at everybody, and he says, a, a prophet is not without honor, except in his own country. That's another way of saying... I'm God in the flesh, but even in my own Nazareth, I don't have honor. It's the only place that I can read in Scripture where he ever went back to Nazareth. And maybe he went back there to prove this point. So Mark tells us that when Jesus came to the baptism, he came out of Nazareth. 
Do you know there's a time in our life as a believer that we got to get out of where we came from? You know what Nazareth was? That was the city that his family, his parents, chose to raise him. They could have gone a few miles up the road. They could have done things differently. They, but they chose to raise him in Nazareth. And every one of us in this room has our own personal Nazareth. It's that thing that makes you question, can anything good come out of this? It's framed by those people that you call your tribe, your family, your, your brothers and sisters, your mom, your dad, your, your friends, your husband, ex-husband, wife, ex-wife. It's, it's that place that has shaped you into who you think you are right now. And Jesus is telling us something here, that to get what we have coming from, for us from God, we got to get out of Nazareth. We, we've got to decide we're going to quit being who dad and mom said we were. We got to quit being who all of our experiences say we are. When this happened to you when you were three and five and seven and 11 and 12, if you're not careful, those things will determine who you are. And there comes something supernatural that takes place when out of simple obedience, you leave Nazareth. You make this determination in your heart I am who God says I am, not what Lazarus says I am. You've lived your life 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years, and you've always been considered depressed. And, and we in Christianity, we want God, listen to me for a moment, we want God to build the kingdom of God in us in Nazareth. And he says, no, I want you to come out of Nazareth so that I can put the kingdom of God in you. There's a word here. You're going to have to receive this spiritually. We have no record up until this moment. We have no record that Jesus heard from God the Father. If God the Father had ever spoken to Jesus before this moment, it's not recorded. Jesus himself does not hear from the Father until after simple obedience, he gets out of Nazareth and goes and does what Dad told him to do. <coughs> Get baptized. And the Bible says that John and Jesus step into the water. Matthew tells us that Jesus said, Hey, John, I'm doing this because you know it's written. It doesn't make any sense to me either. Let's just do this. And Jesus is baptized. 
and the baptism of repentance, which means change. And he comes up out of the water, and the Bible says to him, let's read it. And he, Jesus, saw the heavens parting and the spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I like the way that Mark writes this. Another gospel writes this, gospel writer writes this, and he leaves out a little bit of the detail. He, he, he says that what the father said is, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Mark, who is very, very, you know, you can, you can, a picture is worth a thousand words, they say. Mark is painting a picture, and he makes sure that we understand that this moment is not between Jesus and the Father and everybody else. This moment is between the Father and Jesus. Because he doesn't say to everybody, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Mark says that's not what he said. He said, you are my beloved son. And he didn't, listen to me, he didn't get that word in Lazarus. Nazareth. He got it after obedience. Because, listen to me, his dad told him he was a carpenter. His mom told him, you're my son. Look at the Gospels. That's how she engages him. He's 30 years old. And I understand, I understand, they can be 90 and they're still your child. I, I get that. But, but she treats him. There comes a time when she and her, his brothers think he's lost his mind. And they've come to retrieve him. And he wants to make sure that before it's all over, he resets their relationship. He said, John, that's your mom now. Take care of her. This is really a message to Mary. I'm taking care of you. You're not taking care of me. So if you feel led to pray to Mary, don't do it. Even Mary had the wisdom to know and to say, call Jesus my Lord and my Savior. And so I ask you this question this morning. What is your Nazareth? What is it your dad, your mom, tried to tell you you are? What is it about your childhood, your years in school, your first or your second or your third marriage? What is it about your friends that is still holding you? I want to tell you, a, a, a personal connection with God follows us getting out of Nazareth. It means you believe what God said even though you don't understand why he said it. John, I don't know why I'm here baptizing except dad said to get baptized and so that's why I'm here. I came from Nazareth to come here to obey dad. 
I don't know why we're doing this, but let's just do it because dad said do it. And when he obeyed, come on, folks, we want it different. We want it backwards. We want affirmation before there's obedience. And obedience brings affirmation. It's not that God loves you more. Your obedience releases his love. Jesus hadn't healed anybody that we know of at this point. He hadn't, he hadn't delivered anybody. He hadn't raised anybody from the dead. And yet the Father is pleased with him. Can I tell you that if you're working to please the Father, you're in dead religion? But if you're working because the Father is pleased with you, that's relationship. One is bondage and slavery. The other is freedom. And so what is your personal Nazareth? Right now when I said that, there was somebody in this room, you were 12 years old, and you took on a tagline, and that became the, the tagline that your family called you. Well, I'm, we, have, we live in a day where there's so many taglines. Every quirk of personality is a psychological event. How many know what I'm talking about? Now we got five-year-olds who are claiming child abuse because dad and mom are trying to tell him I'm a boy. When he wants to just wait and choose for himself. That's an issue. Come on. What Nazareth are you needing to get out of this morning? Well, I've always been depressed. Get out of Nazareth. I've always been addicted. Get out of Nazareth. I've always had anger issues. My dad had anger issues. I've got anger issues. Get out of Nazareth. I want to tell you that God is not truly God until you can get to the place that you recognize that what he says about you is greater than the last 30 years of your life. And all of these events and all of these occurrences are nothing when you compare them to the greatness of your God. And he can change things in a moment. Jesus had walked this earth for 30 years, a sinless life, and had never recorded that he ever heard a word from the Father. Until the moment he came out of Nazareth, the moment that he got baptized, then dad completed the circle. And I want to tell you, this is a mystery. It's a mystery because we just don't talk about it like we, we need to. You, you need to know something about the timetable of God. We, 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 are, we too often are trying to humanize God. And we're trying to bring him down on a level so that we can understand him. And we forget that he says that my ways are above your ways and they're past finding out. You know what that means? If you can figure it out, it just might not be God. I was at a, a gathering a number of years ago and there was a fellow on the platform. His name was Roland Baker. Heidi Baker's husband. How many have heard of Heidi Baker? Okay. 
And Roland was talking about how God uses imperfect vessels. And that he doesn't understand why God would ever use him. He's so flawed. Anybody else can relate to that? And I don't remember how many people were in the room. John, you were there. 800 people, maybe? There was maybe 800 people, and he said, I'm, I'm not going to talk until God gives me something to say. And, and so, you know, he, he hadn't said a lot. He said, it just, God uses imperfect people, and we've got to be okay with that. If you're waiting to be perfect to be used of God, you'll be waiting until you die. I'd still be waiting. And Roland said, here's the crazy thing about God. He, he does whatever he wants, and it doesn't always make sense. And he said, he said this isn't going to make sense, but the Holy Spirit just told me to do this. He goes like this. And everybody on that side of the room, we're talking four or 500 people. I mean, they just fell out under the power of God. And they took off running, and they were dancing, and they were rolling on the floor. And he goes, <laughs> he said, look, look, that doesn't make any sense. He said, I'm just a man, and I just did that. Reminds me of the pastor when the Pensacola revival was happening, and and he had a number of his people that were asking about that. Is that a real move of God? Is that genuine? And, and so he decided on, a, he only lived a few hundred miles away. He decided on a Thursday night to sneak down there himself and be, be in the service. And he went to the service and he sat there and saw all that happened. And he wasn't moved. He drove back on Friday and Sunday morning gets up in the pulpit of his church and there's five, four or five hundred people in this congregation. And, and he said, that some of you have been asking me. This is on a Sunday morning. Heard the testimony directly from him. He said, some of you have been asking me whether this thing in Pensacola is of God or not. He said, I want to tell you right now, Thursday night I went down there. So I could tell you for myself. He said, I didn't feel nothing. He goes, there is nothing to that move of God. And when he did that, the Holy Ghost fell in his building. People got baptized and saved and delivered. While he's saying, there's nothing to that move of God. Now every week, he's running buses of people from his city down to Pensacola so they can see what God is doing down there. We got to get out of the place where we want to make sense of everything that God is doing. What God wants out of you and I is just obedience. Just obey. Just obey. Here's the mystery. God's never going to love you any more than he loves you right now. He's never, listen to me, he's never going to deliver you more than you're delivered right now. Hear me out. He's not going to heal you any more than you're healed right now. Here's the mystery. You're already delivered. You've got to understand that. The book of Colossians tells us that. You're already delivered. Jesus isn't fighting for you right now. He fought for you and won. 
He isn't waiting to heal you. He's waiting for you to believe that he healed you. He's not waiting to deliver you. He's waiting for you to believe that he delivered you. Come on, folks. Go back into the Gospels. Let's ask Jesus himself. When he goes to the pool of Bethesda and he, the, the, the porches and the people and the great multitude are there and he walks up to one man and he says, what, what are you doing here? And he began to give all sorts of excuses. I don't have anybody with me. The angel comes, there's the water, you know. I don't have nobody. I don't have any friends. Nobody helps me. Nobody gets me down there. And I just... And you know what Jesus does? He says, get up. <laughs> Did you miss the part where he prayed healing over him? Because he didn't. He just said, get up. When they lowered the man through the roof, Jesus says, get up. He knocked on the widow of Nain's son's casket, and he says, get up. He didn't stand outside Lazarus' tomb and say, Lazarus, I break the curse of death over you. I speak life into your body. I command the darkness... He said, Lazarus, get out here. He went to the little girl who was dead. And he says to her daughter, get up. Everybody else was saying, she's dead. Jesus said, she ain't dead. Hey, get up. Why does he do it that way? Why is he never not laying hands on their forehead and commanding... Because he's already healed them. you got to understand this. You're already delivered. You're already anointed of God. John said, little children, you already have the anointing of God. And you know all things. That's what God said. He said, I don't know all things. God said you do. You know how you know all things? Because if you will put yourself in a position of obedience, in that moment you will know everything you need to know. The Holy Spirit's been given to us, and he will guide us into all truth and guide us into all knowledge. Listen to me for a moment, church. You, you, you cannot force God to come to your Nazareth and work on your mind frame and on your time frame. God, I'm, I'm just depressed. Just help me in my depression. And God says, you're not depressed. Oh, no, no, God, I am. I am depressed. Sorry, you're wrong on this one. Am I minimizing your struggle? No. Am I saying it's not real? For you in that moment, it's real. But there comes a time when we have to choose something. We choose what our experience and our past tells us, or we choose to experience what God says about us. That's what he says. And even Paul said, I pray that you be in health and prosper, even as your soul prospers. He ties the two together. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So if you think you're a nobody and no good and you can't do anything else because that's what your Nazareth told you, get out of Nazareth. If you think you're a loser and you can't this and you can't that, 
Why do you feel that way? Well, they've always said I was that way. I, my, my parents always said I was bad at math. My parents said I was always kind of stupid. My parents said I was always afraid. Psychologist says we're born with two natural fears. Fear of falling and a fear of loud noises. A loud noise startles people. Every other fear, we learn it. Somebody has to tell us. Some time ago, I was somewhere, and some little child come walking up to me, and hey, what are you doing? Where's your dad and mom? Mom come around the corner, never, 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 never looked at me, never looked grabbed the little child. Don't you talk to people. Come on. Like I was going to eat the child. Okay, forget that one, okay? Maybe. I walked right into that, didn't I? Okay, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a justifiable fear. But like... Like I would do something to harm the child. I wouldn't eat the child in public. I mean, there's people around. Come on. What's, what's, what's in your Nazareth? I want to tell you right now. You need to decide who your God is. If your parents and the way you were raised are God, then, then, then you're still in Nazareth. If you think you're stupid... You're still in Nazareth. Those people that were used of God, he called them out of their Nazareth. He's calling you out of your Nazareth. Those lies you believe about yourself that contradict what God says about you. Some of you have made sin greater than your God. He said, I failed, I failed 50 times. And so you, you, you've tagged yourself a failure. The reality is you just haven't believed God when he said you're free. You can just stop. Come on. I understand struggles in life. I understand it takes a while to get there. But folks, we need to be doing one of two things with Nazareth. We need to be getting out or we need to be packing up to get out. You need to be determined, I'm going to get out of Nazareth, or you need to be determined, I'm, I'm going to be getting out of Nazareth. You can't stay that way. Turn to somebody near you and say, I can't stay this way. I can't stay this way. Gospel of desperation. God answers desperate prayers. Some have gotten, they, they've built their house in Nazareth. They're staying there. I can only find one other time in Scripture where Jesus left Nazareth. Other than that, he spent his whole life, 30 years, in Nazareth. He came out of Nazareth one time to get baptized. Six chapters later in Mark, he goes back to Nazareth one time. He leaves Nazareth and saying, I don't have no honor back there. 
and he doesn't go back. Not only leave your Nazareth, don't go back to that. I'll share this story with you. Is it give me some music, guys? She, she was a, a lady. She had a job. She was a professional. She had a good income. She, she dressed nice. She carried herself well. But she had suffered a divorce that had just devastated her. Her husband was manipulative. He was condemning. He was domineering to her. He was an over-the-road truck driver. And when we first saw her, she had been divorced for some time. And, and yet she still had something for him. In spite of the physical, sexual, and mental abuse, there was something inside of her that still held on to Nazareth. When we, we met her, she was demon-possessed. All her raising, but this man who was demonic in every way, shape, or form. And she was in bondage in Nazareth, and she found out one night in an altar that that's not how God saw her. And she got free. The demons are commanded to leave. She got free that night. And she did good for a while, and then one time she came to church and it was all changed. It was like she had moved back into, she moved out of Nazareth to Zion, and now she moved back into Nazareth. And, and once again, demons had to be cast out of her. And in talking with her after that, she told us what had happened, that because she still had a thing for her ex, he had a key for her house. And any time he was in the area, he was, he was free to stop by. And one night, she said she, she woke up, and there he was standing at the foot of her bed. And she said to him, she said, or he said to her, you've been with Christians. She goes, pardon me? He goes, I see the light of God all over you. And he began to take off his clothes and he crawled into bed with her and he was intimate with her. And she allowed it. And she said the weirdest thing when we were done, he started laughing and laughing and laughing. And I said, what is so funny? He said, I took it all away from you. And she said, what? He said, you'll find out. I took it all away from you. And she looked and she said, is that when I lost it? You know, when, you know what that was? Folks, listen to me. Your story may not be as dramatic. Your story may have different faces. But you can't go back to those people that put you in bondage in Nazareth and get your sense of self-worth from them. There, there, there may come. There probably will come. There should come a time when God saves you that he takes you out of Nazareth 
to get the Nazareth out of you. So that you're not that person they said you were. You spend time with him and you take on his nature. And he never makes you feel like garbage. And he never doubts and he never casts you aside. He never speaks down to you. He treats you like royalty. You get that down into the fibers of your being. And something inside of you changes. You're not only out of Nazareth, but Nazareth is out of you. And then you can go back there and, and you don't worry about what they say because you know the truth. You know they said that about you because they're deceived. Never let somebody else's lie become your truth. Don't live by somebody else's lie about you. Live by what God said about you. John, baptize me. Why are we doing this, man? I need to be baptizing you. John, you know, it was important to Dad. He wrote it down. I don't get it either. Let's just do this. I came out of Nazareth. I haven't been out of Nazareth, according to Scripture, since I was 12. I've been stuck there for 18 years. Anybody been stuck? Anybody been stuck somewhere for a few years? John, I've been in that nasty town for 18 years. I'm so sick of that Nazareth. I'm just going to do what Dad told me to do because Dad said it. And I don't want to be in Nazareth anymore. Just baptize me. Let's see what happens. And to him, he comes up out of the water. And to him, the heavens are opened. Some of you are wondering why you don't hear from God and you don't understand why God doesn't use you. And you're still stuck in Nazareth. You want him to make a house visit. He said, no, no, come to my kingdom. Get out of your Nazareth and come into my kingdom. How do I get into your kingdom? You get into his kingdom by obedience, blind faith obedience. You, that's how you enter into his kingdom. And when you enter into his kingdom on blind faith obedience, when you step out and it doesn't make any sense, I don't know how this is going to end. This could be bad. This could be really bad. Moses going to Pharaoh, let my people go. That could turn out bad. David walking down into a valley with a slingshot and some stones, face of the giant. This could get ugly. Sitting at a dining room table with Amanda just said, if you say one more thing about that, I'm going to get my shotgun. Let's see, God said you haven't preached your last message. You're either going to preach it here or you're going to preach it in hell, but you're going to preach again. I understand that could have turned out bad. I was out praying a number of years ago, and I'm closing. Like, stand to your feet. That'll make me close. That's Bishop Michael Rice, lead pastor of Encounter. More messages from Pastor Rice are available at our website, godenc.com. You can subscribe to our regular podcast through our website or on iTunes. Find us on Facebook under Encounter.